Hey Christ City, my name is Brett Landry. I'm part of the team here at Christ City Church South Vancouver and uh, it's my joy to just welcome you and greet you in this way. Uh, if you are new or you're wanting more information about who we are, how you can get connected to us, just go to our website christcitychurch.ca. Click on the connect tab that'll give you all the information you need there. Uh, if you are a parent and you're looking for some of the resources we've put together for Christ City Kids, you can have a look at the parents group on Church Center, which is the app that we use to facilitate our life and community around here. If you're having any questions about that, you can just email michelle at christcitychurch.ca. If you want us to be praying for you, praying with you, just email us those requests at pray at christcitychurch.ca. We'll get back to you and uh, add you to our confidential prayer list as well. Uh, if you're part of the body of Christ City, you can continue to give through this season where we're not gathering by heading to the website, clicking on the give tab in that way. And I just wanted to let you know, uh, this is just a bit of a welcome. We're going to sing a couple songs together here in a moment, and then we're going to open God's word in John chapter 20 verses 1 through 18 here on Easter Sunday. All right, as I said uh, on the front end, we're in John chapter 20, verses 1 to 18. Uh, let me pray for us as we open God's word. Father, we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for the resurrection of your son, Jesus. We thank you for the joy that it is to be followers of Jesus and be called your children. And we just pray today, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear the truth, that you give us eyes to behold your glory, that you give us hearts to believe the gospel, and that, Lord, all of that would translate to the work of our hands and everything that we do, and that you'd be glorified in and through our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, on Good Friday, we released a beautiful video walking through the story of the cross, beginning with the glory of God and the plan of salvation as revealed to us in Scripture, which acknowledges the problem of human sin and how Jesus decisively dealt with that problem by moving toward the cross where he dies as our crucified Lord. See, the message of Good Friday is that Jesus came to die that we might have life. Um, but the thing we need to pay attention to today on Easter Sunday is, is well said by a theologian about 500 years ago when he said the cross of Christ only triumphs in the heart of believers over the devil and the flesh and over sin and sinners when their eyes are directed to the power of his resurrection. So today we turn our eyes to the glory of the empty tomb. See, without the triumph and the victory of the resurrection... The crucifixion of Jesus is neither triumphant nor victorious. Good Friday is only good because of the resurrection of Jesus on the first Easter Sunday. So if Jesus has not been raised, the scriptures tell us that our faith is futile and we are still in our sins. Without a risen Jesus, there is no forgiveness of sin, there is no salvation, there is no hope, and there is no eternal life. But if Jesus is risen from the dead, then what we're looking at is forgiveness and salvation and hope and eternal life all found in him. So today we move from the it is finished of Good Friday to the he is risen of Easter Sunday. Today we move from the death and burial of Jesus on Good Friday to the resurrection and the empty tomb of Easter Sunday. Today we move from what is apparent, was apparent defeat, to a realized triumph in the resurrection. And, and please hear me when we talk about the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. These are not random occurrences in history. These were something that was in the heart of God before time began. See, the cross and the empty tomb were lovingly planned by God our Father that we, his people, might be able to walk in renewed and reconciled relationship with him. So what we'll do here is we'll read through John chapter 
20, verses 1 through 18. And what I want to do is build a picture of what happened on the first Easter Sunday. And then following our movement through this text, I want to offer you four assurances that are yours if you've placed your hope and your faith and your trust in Jesus. Four assurances that arise from chapter 20, verses 1 through 18 here in John's Gospel that we might take and behold and apply to our hearts and apply to our lives. Let's read John chapter 20, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark, and she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb. I just want to stop and ask, why does John, who wrote this gospel, tell us that he beat Peter in the race to the tomb? Why is that even included in here? It's actually a very important part of the passage, I think. It's because it happened. It's because that's what happened on that day. It's written as a first-hand account of the events surrounding the resurrection of Jesus. And so John includes what happened. He and Peter were running to the tomb, and he happened to get there first. Look at what it says in verse 5. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Right? They go back to their homes. They go to the tomb, they look in, they see what's gone on. Jesus isn't there, and they go, well, he's not here, we're going home. Seriously, it says that John believes, and then he goes home. Now that's what happened. In the second half of the text, I think, is going to help us understand this a bit. Peter and John, they go home to make breakfast. Mary stays. Look at verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I'll take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbi, which means teacher. So here is Mary standing outside of the empty tomb of Jesus, weeping. She speaks with the angels, but what they say does not stop up the grief in her heart. And I just want you to notice in the text that it's the one who knows her, the one who has called her to follow him, the one who is there that she is looking for. He comes to her and he asks her the same question and he says, woman, why are you weeping? It's the same question as the angels asked and Jesus asks the question of her as well. And I just want you to notice this friends, that he sees your tears when you wonder where he is. He sees your tears when you wonder where he is. He is full of mercy and compassion for his people. And he comes to Mary and he says, why are you weeping? She does a double take here. 
At first, she turns and she sees a man that she doesn't recognize, and she sort of, in a way, bows her head, I think, and walks away a little bit. And then he spoke to her. And he spoke and he called her name. And when he called her name and he just said, Mary, she turned and she fell at the feet of Jesus. She worshiped him. Rabbi, teacher. She knew him. She turns and falls back at his feet. I love this because it's one word from her good shepherd. Earlier in John's gospel, in chapter 10, Jesus is called the good shepherd. And he says that he is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. And he says that he knows those who are his, and he knows his own, and his own know him. And he says that, he knows the vo- that his sheep know the sound of his voice, and he calls them by name. And so when she doesn't recognize him, and she turns away and drops her head, he speaks one word. He says, Mary. And she turns and weeps. In her weeping, it's turned from mourning into joy as her teacher and Lord is there. He sees your tears when you wonder where he is, and he calls you by name so that you might know he is with you. He sees your tears when you wonder where he is, and he calls your name so that you can be assured that he is with you. Mary Magdalene was a disciple of Jesus, and he knew her name, and she knew his voice. And somewhere along the line, she came to know Jesus through a power encounter where she was delivered of seven demons says in Luke's gospel that she started following Jesus after he cast seven demons out of her. But here we find her standing outside of the tomb alone. No other disciples, no family, no friends. She was there for Jesus. Here we find a woman who was so profoundly transformed by the love and the forgiveness and the teaching and the ministry and the mercy of Jesus that even though he's dead, she is still there to mourn. And and here's the amazing thing about Mary Magdalene. She's one of a handful of people who were there with Jesus in his teaching. She was there when he was being crucified. She was there when he was being sealed up in the tomb. And now here she is as he calls her name and she hears the voice of her good shepherd and she falls on her face before him and clings to his feet as she now encounters the risen Jesus. See, she was one of the faithful few who were at the cross. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke's gospel, all three of them, they also say that she was there when they took him down from the cross and when they sealed him up in the tomb. And now she's there at the resurrected Jesus as he stands next to the empty tomb. See, she knew him in his life, and she knew him in his death, and she knew him in his burial, and now she knows him in his resurrection. See, he saw her tears, he came and pursued her, and he called her name, and she responded who better to take the message of the risen Jesus to the rest of the disciples and then to the rest of the world verse 17 Jesus said to her do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the father but go to my brothers and say to them I am ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her Now, I want you to think about this. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's because somebody else has shared the message of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus with you at some point, and God has given you ears to hear and a heart to believe, and you have then repented of your sin, and you began to trust in him, right? You've turned away from the things in which you would find your ultimate sense of meaning and purpose and the ultimate things that you would trust in, and you've turned away from those things, and you have anchored all your hope and trust in Jesus. You've turned 
turned away from those other things that would grant you an identity in this world, and you've said that your identity is found in the person and work of Jesus on your behalf, and that you know you were grafted into his family and he has saved you. Somewhere along the line, you have come to believe that and you have done that, just like Mary Magdalene. Mary is there when Jesus is being crucified. She's there when they seal up the tomb. She's the first one there on the Easter Sunday and the first one to have a conversation with him. And listen, he commissions her to go and tell the rest of the disciples that he is alive. He has given her a message of hope that she can share with the rest of the people she knows. If you're a follower of Jesus, somehow you came to believe this good news because it was shared with you. The good news of the life and the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. Somehow you come to believe the gospel, the good news, right? You heard that message, and I want you to notice this. You heard that message in part because of a single young woman with a troubled past and a host of demons and the fact that she was faithful to the end. She stood outside the tomb, she met Jesus, and then she went and told the rest of the disciples that he was alive. She is the first link in a chain of faithful witnesses that begins there that day on the first Easter Sunday at the empty tomb and that first link of a chain of faithful witnesses that will continue to the end of the age as the gospel is proclaimed to the nations. She said, I've seen the Lord. Christ City, you might wonder if God can use you in this moment of history. If he can use Mary... If he can use me, he can use you. He has given us a message of hope to share with the rest of the world around us. She said, I've seen the Lord. As one author said, it is through those eyes, blurred somewhat with tears, that we see Jesus alive. It is through her hands that we touch his walking feet and feel the warmth of his living flesh. Christ City, he is risen. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. She saw him dead on the cross, she saw him buried in the tomb, and now she sees him alive and well, risen and preparing to ascend to the Father. It's the heart of the apostolic gospel. And for the apostles that she ran to, the apostles that she went and told Jesus is alive, the apostles who are going to then take this message as we see through the rest of the New Testament and we've seen through 2,000 years of Christian history, this apostolic gospel, this message of hope and life we have in the resurrected Christ, that message is spread to the rest of the world. And at the end of my time here in this message, we're actually going to watch a beautiful video uh, of what is called the Apostles' Creed. It wasn't written by the apostles. It is a summary of the apostolic gospel. We're going to watch this video at the end as a confession of what we've come to believe about our faith in this good news of Jesus. It's a summary of what they taught throughout the rest of the New Testament, and it's something that we've hung on to for 2,000 years of Christian history, and we need to hang on to it today as well. It's the good news that God saves sinners like you and me, and that he gives us the opportunity to call him Father, and that he sees us as his sons and daughters. Look at verse 17 again. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. My Father and your Father, my God and your God. Jesus sees the tears when you wonder where he is. Jesus calls you by name so that you know that he's with you. Jesus gives you a message of hope to share with the world around you. 
And Jesus' death and resurrection mean that he has made a way for you to know God as your Father. The only other time that Jesus tells us that we can call him our Father is in his teaching on the Lord's Prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. This is the only other place. But it's through the resurrection of Jesus that we're brought into this entirely new relationship with God where we can call upon him as a child would call upon a father. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. See what kind of love. It's astonishing love. It's relentless love. It's pursuing love. It's sacrificial love. It's saving love. It's love that looks at the cross and beholds the finished work of Jesus. And it's love that brings new life in the resurrection and makes it available to each and every one of us who will come to trust in him. The gospel is the good news and the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the authentication that it is true. And we can take great comfort in this assurance that we serve the living God. Because of this good news that he has risen, you can be assured like Mary that he sees your tears when you wonder where he is. Because of this good news that he has risen, you can be assured like Mary that he calls you by name so that you know that he is with you. Because of this good news that he has risen, you, like Mary, can be assured that the work of Jesus means he has made a way for you to know God as your Father. And because of this good news that he has risen, you can be assured, like Mary, that the risen Jesus has commissioned you to take a message of hope to share it with all the world you know. Mary knew him in his life, and she knew him in his death, and she knew him in his burial, and she knows him in his resurrection. See, he saw the tears she cried when she longed for him. He called her by name. He welcomed her into his father's family. And he commissioned her with a purpose and a call to spread the good news of this hope we have in Christ. If you do not have the same assurances as Mary today, let me say you can. He lived for you and he died for you and he rose for your new life. And he's coming for you. Turn from your own ways. Turn from your projects of self-salvation. Turn from your ideas that this isn't for you. Turn from your ideas that you don't need the work of Jesus on your behalf. Turn from your ideas that you're better than the person you're living next door to, so you must be okay. Turn from those ideas and recognize that this is the human condition that all who are born enter into and that you need Jesus to grant you forgiveness for sin that you need his atoning work on the cross as he died in your place, that you need the new life that he offers in the resurrection, and that you need to hear him call your name. Turn to him today. Repent of your self-salvation project and come to him, the author and perfecter of our faith. Come to him, for he cares for you, as it says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Our Lord Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When you have recognized that you are not able to carry the burden of the weight and the sin and the shame that you have, come to him. He'll take it. And in that beautiful exchange, 
He will take your mess, your sin, and your brokenness upon himself, and he will grant you his righteousness and his love and his peace in its place. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that we have an opportunity to call you Father because of the finished work of Jesus, the fact that he is alive and well, that he is ruling and reigning, granting us peace, and that he's called us to participate in the world hearing the good news of the gospel in the way that we're called and commissioned to share it. Help us to trust you in all things. Help us to trust you in this season and to rejoice that we serve the living God who was dead but is now alive forevermore. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.